Well, good morning. Good to have you here. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're looking at verses 25 to 40 and dabbling a little bit in some of the earlier passages too. <clears throat> so, you come to church and you look across the way and you see a young lady sitting in church. You go up, you approach her and welcome her to the church. You find out she's never been married and she's 38 years old. What are your thoughts? Praise the Lord? Or, boy, that's, that's a shame. Sad to see what appears to be a young lady live a life without a husband and a family. Um, do you think we ever feel that way? Do you think the church ever feels that way? My sister, who's with the Lord now, um, ended up getting married when she was 40. <clears throat> then she lived four years and got a strange form of cancer and passed in, in, into eternity when she was 44. Um, and it was really interesting for me as a brother to walk with her. We were very close. To walk with her through those years when she was single. And she had, she had resigned in her life that if God had her to be single for the rest of her life, that was fine with her. Um, and then God chose to change things when she was 40. But it was interesting to watch people comment about Robin, who if you, you knew Robin, Huff's knew Robin, she was first class at every level, you know. I mean, I think she probably just intimidated guys, myself. But, um, and, and, but, but just in that process, you know, there was this tendency sometimes if you're single and not married that people think you're second class. You're not quite up to snuff. There's, there's a problem. And, and I suppose one of the reasons for that is because we do value marriage. And we should value marriage, right? So that, that's, that's all really, really, really good. My daughter and I were just briefly talking. It's funny, out in the world often, depending where you're at, People tend to heighten singleness and lower marriage, but in the church that kind of seems to get sometimes reversed. And, and I'm in no way disparaging marriage. I've, I, I've, I'm doing it, and I, I love it, and I'm glad I did it. My concern is that in the process that we don't disparage singles. And I think what you're going to find reading this passage today, it may actually set you back on your heels a little bit to see what God says about singles. And, and you say, well, this is not the whole story, right? I mean, Paul speaks here in Corinthians, but he speaks also in Ephesians, and he also speaks in First Timothy about these matters. Yeah, yes, you're exactly right. You're, you're exactly right. It's, it's, a, it's, it's complicated. It's full. There's a lot of dynamics and and in 30 minutes, I'm not going to handle all that stuff. If you ever want to talk more about this, 
any of us would be happy to do it. But, it's a, but this is a really important slice. And what I'm going to argue at the end of the day is that singles, singles' lives also matter to God. A lot. As much as mine. Watch what Paul does in this passage. And to kind of help you, um, I was thinking about this this week. So, okay, I'm going to designate different groups, different parts, different pews to different groups again, just to maybe help us walk through the story. And I know every time I do this, you get designated differently. Sorry. So forget everything I've done with you before, okay? You're a new character today. Everybody over there, okay, in that group, they're the ones that have kind of initiated the writing uh, about that caused Paul to respond the way he did. They obviously wrote a letter and they had some concerns and Paul's going to comment on them. And all I can, okay, so that, I'm going to come back to you. You tend to be more what we might call ascetic in your tendencies. You know, you're just thinking like, hey, I look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's not married. Does that mean he was married at one point and he's a widow, not, widower now? Probably. But Paul's not married, seems to be doing quite well with the single life. Um, and Paul, you talk a lot about no sex and all that. So we just think like, let's forget the whole sex thing altogether. Let's just forget it. Uh, let's just give ourselves to God. So if you're married or not married, and anyway, this group over here is pressuring all the other groups to begin to think a little bit like them. And so here in this group here, we have singles who have never been married. Okay? Here, we have singles who formerly were married, but not now. And over here, you're all our married folk. Okay? Now, the percentages don't work out exactly like that. I just needed four groups. So, uh, this group was probably quite small, and it looks like it's pretty significant as I'm looking here. So, so but, but... This pressure is coming, and in chapter 7, verse 1, there's somebody that's actually saying, it's better not to have sex, period, with anybody in marriage or out of marriage at all. Now, Paul agrees with part of that, doesn't he? Outside of marriage, but not inside of marriage. So he's got to actually talk about that and say, well, um, yes and no. And, and apparently they're putting some pressure on saying, hey, look, don't get married. Hey, look, don't get married. Hey, look, either get out of marriage, or if you're in marriage, don't have sex in marriage. Apparently, there's a group that's putting that kind of pressure on here, and Paul wants to say yes, but no. And so, he's going to deal with these things. So, as he, as he goes through, Paul's going to give some advice to both formerly married and married people in the beginning, chapter, beginning of the chapter. You know what he's going to say to you guys? If you're married, stay married. That's not my advice. That's my command. That's what I want you to do. He's, he just, it's real, he's real strong on this. And you ought to be giving yourself one to another. Because that's what God wants you to do. So you're wrong on that. That's what you need to do. Okay, we looked at that before, so I'm not going to get back to that again. Where he focuses in 25 to 40 is largely with this group, 
but somewhat with this group. So you remember, you guys have never married. You guys were formerly married, right? And beginning of the chapter, he's going to talk to you about you guys a little bit, and then, and then again at the end. So what I want to do, as Paul actually walks through this, I'm going to primarily pick up in verse 25. He's going to say, you know what my preference is? He recommends that you should remain single without mandating it. So he's going to look at this group, and he's going to look at this group. He's going to say, unlike this group, you guys need to stay together. He's going to look at these groups and say, "Um, you can get married again. You can get married for the first time. But before you do, I want to give you some reasons why you might want to consider not. Wow. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? You know, in a culture that's all about focusing on the family, which I'm all for focusing, blessing the family, Paul's like saying, no, I want you to focus on something even larger than the family. But you're going to focus on God. And when you focus on God and his kingdom, you're going to find that changes some things a little bit. So notice what Paul says in chapter 7, verse 25, as we kind of talk our way through this. Um, oh, incidentally, you know what I didn't mention before? I, I, should, I should just do this because I was thinking I never talked about it before. This is major controversial, but who cares? Let's just jump in and talk about it. Um, in chapter 7, verse 7, Paul is now talking to you guys, the formerly married. Look what he says. I wish that you all were as I am, but each of you has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. What in the world is this gift thing? I don't think I, I, don't think I actually said it. And there, there's really three viable options on this, and I, I won't go through them. But, but I, I think what Paul is saying is, as you read, because look at what he says in 8 and 9. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say, that's you guys, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And sometimes people have read this passage and say like, oh, so the only reason you're supposed to get married is to have sex. No, that's not, that's not the full picture. Paul is talking to you based on what they have said. And they brought up the whole thing about sex, so he's trying to reconfigure it so you understand how does sex play into all this. And if you're not gifted by God at this particular time in your life with some of these passions that you have, that may be a sign that God's saying, it's okay to marry. So, so Paul's not saying the only reason you should get married is to have sex. It's not what he's saying. He's talking to them about what they were talking about. It's a response. But it's a contributing factor. Do you see? So he's going to bring up that issue, and he's going to say, I think there's real wisdom in you staying where you are. But unlike them who I said, you must, you need to stay married, I'm saying to you, 
you don't have to stay single. And one reason in this case that you might choose to get married is because of the passion, the sexual passion issue. Okay, let's go to verse 25. I just wanted to mention that because that's talking about singles too. So look at what he says in verse 25. Now about, about virgins, that's for everybody right here, okay? Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Paul says, Jesus didn't speak to this one exactly and precisely. But I want you to know I've been around the block. I've been God's faithful apostle, and I think I can give you some advice. Here's what I think is really fascinating in this area. Folks, this is really important. Paul is so careful not to command. What if you looked at singles and said, you all stay single, period. Paul knows he can't say that. That's what some of you want him to say. But Paul's not going to do that. It's much fuller. Matter of fact, Paul will say in one of his later books, in 1 Timothy 4, he will say people who say, Forbid marriage. Don't get married, period. That's heresy. So Paul will not go that way. Paul is looking at a group of singles in light of their question, and he's saying, I want you to consider staying single. If you choose to get married, that's your choice. That's okay. But I want you to tell you, I want to show you some reasons why singleness has, is advantageous. Do you, see, do you see how careful he is here? I love this passage. It's, he just, he walks so gingerly and wisely through. Okay, Paul, tell, tell, tell us what to do. Or tell us what's going on. Um, here's the first reason. Singleness can allow for less stress in a world of increasing hostility toward Christianity. Let me read the passage and then try to explain it. And I just, you just need to know. Virtually every section I'm preaching to you today, scholars dif- disagree on things on. I, ju- I just want you to know, I mean, this, this is like, I mean, um, by Tuesday of this past week, um, and, you know, I, I, I've taught and studied this stuff for years, but by Tuesday last week, I was, on every verse I was going, okay, there's three options there. On that verse, there's four possibilities there. On that verse, there's, there's five. On that, go, man, it's just, Okay, because we don't know all the details always of what's going on. So let me try to make it clear as much as I can. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Okay, guys over here, just so you know, as I talk through all this, stay where you are. Okay, just stay where you are. Uh, even as I talk about these things, don't get out of your marriage, okay? Stay with it, all right? Um, Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. Now, he's going to qualify that in just a moment, but, but, but he's just making the statement, look, in this whole area where there's all kinds of things stirring around, just catch your breath. Remember who you are in Jesus. Remember most, what's most important. And for now, just relax. Stay where you are. I mean, he's, he's kind of like tamping it down here a little bit. 
But if you do marry, that's you guys right here, you haven't sinned. They may have said that, but you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Now, here's the big question. What does the distress and the tribulation refer to? Is Paul saying, look, from the point of when Christ left until the time when Christ comes back, that entire age is marked by tribulation and crisis and problems, so don't get married because you don't want to have to worry about two people when you only have to worry about one. Some people think that's kind of maybe what he's saying. Other people go to the other end and say this. It's just talking about something that uniquely was happening right then and there at Corinth. A very, 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 very very good classical scholar argues that there was a famine around this time and that Paul is saying, look, in light of the fact that there's not enough food to go around, don't get married for right now. When that present crisis is gone, whatever. I think it's more of a mix of the two. Because whenever Paul uses the term tribulation and crisis together, he uses it in 2 Corinthians, and he uses the term through the book of Corinthians. He's talking about the kind of opposition that Christians face for their faith in a world that is opposed to them. And I think what Paul is saying is this. As a matter of fact, when you read what Paul experiences at Ephesus, he says, it was so bad to me, I felt like I was in the arena getting killed by lions. That's how bad the opposition's been. I think what Paul is saying is, there is, and, and more so for certain individuals and in certain regions and certain time periods, there are times in church history when the opposition is so intense and so hard, Paul is personally experiencing that. He's saying in light of that present crisis, you ought to think twice about getting married because now you have to worry about two people, not just one. Now, do I think that's carte blanche true of every age and every time? No, I think it waxes and wanes, doesn't it? If you're living in northern India right now and you come to faith in Christ, you're facing a whole lot more opposition than if you come to faith in Christ in New Jersey this week, aren't you? And so the decision that our brother and sister might make there about marriage could be different about what the brother or sister makes here in this country at this time. But all he's saying is to be a Christian in certain settings there will be more tension that will come your way, and you have to think through, do I want to join hands with somebody else and take my kids into this? Do you know 100 years ago, there were certain places around the world that if you were going to go as a missionary, you could not go if you had children, or you could not go if you were married. Because they knew if you went into that mission field, that you were probably either going to get killed by somebody 
or die of a disease. And some of these mission groups actually made you take your casket with you when you, when you went to certain places in missions. I think that was really wise advice. I don't know about taking the casket with you, but, 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 but what they were saying is, You've just got to think through in light of the tension and the pressures that can come to you as a believer. It might be best if you say, if I'm going to go there, I go alone. I go single. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. So there are times when singles make decisions based on where, where they want to go for the Lord and what they want to do for the Lord, and they just say to themselves, I think it's better not to get married. doesn't make them better than, than, than somebody that's married. It just makes them really wise in doing what is really appropriate. And we should not say, oh, isn't, isn't that a shame? My uh, lovely daughter is with me today. My wife's in junior church. And uh, Sarah, as you know, was in Iraq, and then she came back. We thought she was going back to Iraq, and then they changed something. Anyway, she's heading out Tuesday with Samaritan's Purse for some training for two months, and I don't know where she's going to be around the world after that. She could, they, who knows where they'll put her? Somewhere. We don't know. <laughs> Ken told me today, he said, it's like the Army, right? They never quite tell you where you're going to go, right? But we don't know. Should I... Um, should I get together with my daughter and say, honey, you need to stay stateside. Because we've got to find you a husband. You've got to get married. Your life is going to be incomplete. It's not going to be the way it should be. You can't be running around the world saying you want to serve the Lord. I mean, no, no, no. I would just, can't you serve the Lord here with us? Do you know what I'm saying? No, I look at my daughter and I say, I totally support what you're doing. Whatever you go, whatever you do, and if you do that for the next 40 years, I won't live that long, so I won't be able to say much after that. To the glory of God, decisions are made strategically for the glory of God and the furtherance of his gospel. And we should embrace singles when they do that. If you're single here today, that assumes that at the heart, that's what drives you. Do you see? And we should celebrate our singles who out of their incredible love for God make such decisions. Does that make sense? You know what I love about the gospel? It frees every one of us. And Paul, when you get done reading the whole New Testament, you're going to say, Paul's going to say, hey, when it comes to marriage, you make that decision because you want to further the kingdom of God and his gospel, and you do it hand in hand with those children or whatever God gives you, and go for it to the glory of God. And those that are single, you for the glory of God and still keeping in community with God's people, that's really, really important, you Go and honor him to the glory of God. And it doesn't matter whether you're married or whether you're single. I'm sorry, whether you're married or whether you're single. What matters is God. Singleness reminds us that the eternal eclipses the temporal. 
Look at what verse 29 says. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Now, I'll come back to that. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. And those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What in the world is that talking about? Those that are married should live as if they're not. Okay, so I'm married. So I'm not going to be at home much anymore because Paul said I should live as if not. Is that the point? Or is Paul saying eternity has a way of putting the temporal in its place, which is always on the peripheral when God and his will is in the, in the very core. So, do you go and buy a car? Yes, because you need a car. But is that the end game? Never. Am I married to Sherry? Do I love Sherry with all my heart? Is Sherry my best friend? Yes. But is life Sherry? It better not be. It better be God. So, not that, you, not that I'm not fully responsible for her to care for her. Paul's going to say that in just a couple verses. But what he's saying here is, don't make that central when it's peripheral. We are so bound. And so he lists all these things. James and Darla will weep this afternoon in light of the homecoming going of James's father. But they won't weep as those without hope because of eternity. Do you see? We can laugh and rejoice at a wedding. It's so good. But what we realize is that's not the end game. That will pass away. Look, I told you this before. I love my wife. I would love it in heaven if I could sit beside her, if we have seats. But in heaven, my marriage to Sherry will be swept up into our marriage to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? It doesn't matter in eternity. It won't matter now if you're now single or married. It won't make any difference in eternity. Do you realize that? We will just all be brothers and sisters in Christ from every tribe and nation singing praise and glory and just filled with wonder and awe for all eternity as we keep going like, wow! That's why it's going to be, we're just going to be like, I used to worry when I was eight that I was going to be like really bored in heaven. Like I thought like four verses of that hymn, like how can I do that for a billion years? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean like how is that going to work? It's not going to be that way. It's not going to be that way. We are just going to be going, our jaws are just constantly going to be like, I cannot believe this. It's going to be wonderful. But you see, eternity takes all the things in this earth that we go like, this is what's most important, and it relativizes it all. Singleness has this way of reminding all of us, 
Marriage is not the end game. It was never meant to be an end game. It is a gift from God. It is never to replace God. And singleness reminds us of that. Thirdly, singleness allows for undistracted devotion to the gospel ministry. Look at verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. There are some advantages to being single. It's been a long time since I've been single. But when I was, one of the advantages is I could kind of come and go as I pleased. Certain places. Can't do that anymore. My wife calls me and says, where are you, honey? We're supposed to eat. We were supposed to eat 30 minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and I can't say, hey, honey, I'm freewheeling. Leave me alone. I can only do that maybe once. <laughs> Not going to be in a heap of trouble. It's different. And, oh, so it's, it's wrong to say I want to please my wife and honor her. No, Paul's not saying that. But Paul's saying there's some things that as a single that you can give yourself to because you aren't distracted with other, you're not distracted with other areas of stewardship and responsibility that you can give yourself to that particular thing. Which implies, singles, assumes that your heart is given over to God and His glory. Do you see? This text is not saying, let's just praise singleness because of singleness. text is saying, no, wherever you find yourself, God's glory, His gospel, His purposes, His kingdom, that's all that matters. But there are some advantages. And, and so, so don't look down when you see a young lady who's chosen singleness to the glory of God. Rejoice with her. Lift her up. Don't look down on a married woman who gets married and has children. Don't do that either. It's all about God. But Paul is bringing balance to possible abuse, possible abuse that's coming from questions that's coming his way. Do you see? And what he does in the process, he elevates singleness. Okay. As usual, I'm way behind. So, let me hit this one with you real quick, wrap it up, and I'll, I'll finish it up. Verses 36 to 40. All, I'm gonna, all I can say is this. Verse 36 and 37, um, depending upon what translation, because I'm going to read the NIV here. If you have the ESV or the New American, it's going to read a little bit different. Uh, virtually every line 
it, it's questionable, and I don't know how much of this I want to get into. Let me just read it and give you my take on it, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Verse 36. Uh, because I think what Paul is doing here is this. Uh, up, he, okay, he's talking to you people. And I think he's talking to people who are single. They're not engaged or anything like that, but they're single, and they're just thinking, should I pursue relationships with the opposite sex? And, he, and he's just saying, remember all this stuff about the fact that there's great advantages to being single. Now, there's also challenges with being single, isn't there? Loneliness is a challenge. So to be single does not ever mean to be isolated. We are always called to be in community, and the church should be the closest community for people like that. Okay? So just just want to kind of be clear on that. Okay. So... Notice, notice, okay, okay, yeah, so, so he's talking to singles generally. What he then does in verse 36 is apparently somebody's nudging Paul at some point and says, okay, Paul, okay, but what if you're engaged? Like, what do you do then? Paul says, okay, I'll talk about that one too. Verse 36. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. So here's a guy. He's engaged. And this has been understood two very, very different ways because in the Greek it's not clear. It says something like this. Uh, So if a, a guy says, but I don't think this is proper toward the woman that I'm engaged to, and then the next statement says, If either he or she, it could go either way, if he or she, if it is over the top with he or she. Over the top? What do you mean by that? It could be saying that the young guy is looking at the girl he's engaged to and saying, she's getting close to being over the top. If I keep prolonging this engagement too long, She wants to have kids, and I'm afraid she's going to be beyond the ears. So, I've prayed about it, and I thought about it. Yeah, let's let's, let's do this marriage thing. And Paul says, if you do that, that's fine. That's one interpretation. Now, I think there's wisdom to all that, but I lean toward the other one. The other one says this, because it just says he or she is over the top. It could be the guy. He's with this woman. He's just thinking to himself like, I'm really having a hard, hard time controlling myself physically, to be perfectly honest with you. He says, I'm just like, mm, uh, I'm over the top. It's just, my passions are over the top. It's not, she's over the, over the hill, I'm, I'm over the top. Paul says, okay, no reason to prolong this thing. Get married. You haven't sinned. I think it's probably the second round than the first, but I just want you to know some good scholars have gone both ways on this one, all right? I would say this, both are good advice, (laughs) Um, but only one of them is true of the passage. Verse 37, but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does the right thing, and he who does not marry her does better. So you have a guy, and he's saying, you know, I'm engaged to her. I really, I really, really care about her. 
But you know, as I've thought about it, I want to get on some mission teams with the Apostle Paul. And I know I could lose my life. And um, my, my passions, you know, I'm finding God's grace here. So I'm going to end this thing. And I'm going to go that direction. Paul says that could be better to make that choice. These are wisdom calls, folks. Do you see this? They're not easy. And when you put the Bible together, there's other factors to bring in. Factors related to loneliness and, 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 and other issues that all get brought into these decision-making. But here's the bottom line. We make them all before God for His glory and the furtherance of His purposes. And then within that context, we make these decisions. Very quickly, verse 39 and 40. To our widows. A woman who is bound to her husband as a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. <laughs> kind of a little interesting dig there at the end. By the way, I am an apostle, you know. So you have a widow. And she says, Paul, I'd like to remarry. And not because her passions are whacked out, somebody's saying, but she's just thought through the different options and she would like to get remarried. Paul says, then get, get remarried. It's okay. I, I, I personally would recommend that, that, that you consider not getting married Church will be responsible, 1 Timothy 5, for your care, because that's what we do. Paul will say later. And you give yourself to prayer and fasting and a whole host of other things, and that, 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 that would be wonderful. But if you choose to get married because you've, you've wrestled it through and you've thought through it, and that's your choice, I totally support you on it. If you choose to stay single and devote yourself to God in these powerful ways, I think, that's, I think it's better. So by the time you get done reading this chapter, how could you ever look at singles and say, I don't know, boy, are they missing out. Missing out on what? Life. Temporal life. But not necessarily missing out on what's most important. Do you see? Well, Paul wisely recommends Christian marriage to facilitate sexual propriety and other reasons. He elevates Christian singleness to facilitate focused opportunity. Singles, can I say something to you? Will you forgive us if in our attitudes and in our comments we in any way demean you? Because that is not what the body of Christ should be about. I, I, I hesitate to mention this to you, but I will. I was reading an, uh, an author, and he was saying that the church he was in had a young singles group. I kid you not. You know what they called the group? I kid you not. They called the group because it had, I think it had married and 
singles in it. They called it pears and spares. Can you believe that? Like, who in the world was organizing that one? That's nuts. We value you as a church. There is something that God wants you to do that nobody else in this church can do. And we want to support you in any way imaginable for that. You say, I'm single, but man, do I want to get married. You should be sharing that, not with, with the appropriate people, okay? Um, that can help you and walk you through that process. Because that happens. It happens here in this text. We, who are married, need to make sure we embrace our singles. Because Paul does. And we don't ever treat them like, oh, it's such a shame. I'm so sorry to hear that. But always say, our God wants to uniquely use you like he wants to uniquely use us. How can we help you? How can you help us in walking with God and honoring him? I mean, is that how we should live? I love this text. Singles matter to God. Singles are valued by God. We should do the same. Father, thank you for, in your kindness, putting things into perspective. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we don't live by the value system of the world around us. Lord, help us not to take marriage and put it at the center. Help us not to take singleness and put it at the center. Help us to always put you at the center. And Lord, if you are at the center, whether we're single or married, we can give ourselves to further your purposes with the stewardship that you've given us. And may we do that, Lord, with a positive, joyful spirit bringing our cares and concerns to you as married couples, bringing our cares and concerns to you as singles. For, Lord, with any position, there are challenges. Lord, help us to be a church that can readily share those challenges, enter into that pain, enter into that joy. And together, walk with you as the true bride of Christ. For for all eternity, you are the groom, and we, your people, are the bride. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.